Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode, I speak with Rochelle Denae Poth, who is an emerging technology teacher at Riverview High School in Pennsylvania. She teaches Spanish and STEAM, and interestingly enough, has a degree as an attorney. We talk a bit about her educational path, how she also came to earn a master's degree in educational technology, and the ways that she uses technology, 21st century literacies, and engaging teaching strategies to connect her students with the world. Welcome to Writing Matters. Today I speak with Rochelle Denae Poth, and we talk quite a bit about her work as a Spanish and STEAM teacher, as a presenter, as an author, and as a leader in ISTE. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm very glad to have the opportunity to speak with you. I've recently been learning more about ISTE and becoming involved with ISTE, so I want to find out more about Um, you and your roles there and uh, what opportunities are available for educators. But before we jump into all that, tell us a little bit about your path as an educator. How did you get to where you are at today and the work that you do? Yeah, it's, um, we don't have enough time to go through the the whole story. There have been so many different things along the way, but it's interesting how when you think back, like, Oh, you know, I wonder if that was just, you know, my way of kind of figuring out, did I, did I want to be an educator or is, has it been something my whole life? Like even as a kid, you know, I like to play school and had people in my family who were educators, but personally for myself, even going through high school and early years of college, like it wasn't something that I looked into to be, to go into teaching. And uh, what I did really well in, in college was French and love learning languages I did take some courses in psychology and I think it was like my junior year that they said, you need to declare a major. And there were some suggestions, one of which was um, secondary education. And so I did the, you know, the student teaching and everything and I really liked it. So I went into that. And uh, after I graduated, I I tried to get a job for a couple of years, but it was, it was pretty difficult just teaching um, French at the time. And so it was suggested that I go back and get a second certification Uh, So I got the Spanish. It seemed like a natural kind of step over to that. And then at that point, more doors opened. And I've actually been at my same school now since, well, it's been a while. (laughs) We'll go with with around 20 plus years at my current school uh, where I teach Spanish and STEAM. And over that time, I also decided that I really liked school. So I uh, got the Spanish certification I ended up going to law school because when I was getting my Spanish certification, some of the courses I took were in translation. And I thought that I would really like to be a language translator. So at Pitt, they had a program for French and Spanish translation. And during those, I I learned so much about areas of life and types of work that never in a million years would I think that I would learn, but I found it to be fascinating. And one of those areas was like legal translation, which kind of started my, uh, my mind with going like, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to go into law. But of course, teaching full-time wasn't an option. I did consider being a paralegal, but uh, let that one go by and then just decided at one point, you know what, I think I want to try and apply to law school, see what happens. Um, I did, went to law school, passed the bar, and it's been, oh, about 13 years since then. 
And, uh, but I never got a master's. And just with my involvement with my students, loving technology, I did find a program at Duquesne where I did get my master's in instructional technology a few years ago. And then since then, I've just continued to you know, find opportunities for my students, for myself, um, get more connected, which is not something that I ever did either, and find ways to keep on learning, uh, which people do tend to ask me, like, when do you, when do you, do you sleep? <laughs> like, that's one of the top <laughs> questions I get asked. And I do, but there's just so much out there to learn and so many people to connect with. And so um, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting how I didn't necessarily have the passion to begin with to go into teaching, but it has truly continued to grow ever since law school and over the past, you know, five years, especially. Wow. That is a pretty amazing pathway to where you're at. So maybe this is a question you get asked and I mean it in a serious and not sarcastic way, but as a lawyer, what has that given you um, insights on as a teacher as well? What, what are, yeah. what are the ways in which the practice of law has informed your practice of teaching? Well, I know the one thing that I've said, and, uh, and a lot of people tend to be surprised when I say this, but when I was going to law school, it wasn't because that I wanted to get out of teaching. I actually was still teaching full time and going to law school four nights a week for four years. And uh, during that time, I started like, it gave me a new perspective to look at what it was like to be a student in the classroom, even though I had taken courses you know, for most of my years since graduating high school, but it gave me the chance to look at what it's like when you, know, you might be that student who doesn't want to answer in the classroom or you're struggling to find the answer. Um, I had a lot of interesting experiences in law school where I was uncomfortable, I didn't know the answers, and it helped me to better understand like, my students and the signs and what that might look like but also to develop my own skills to help students to get through that productive struggle. So that's definitely one part of it. I also learned the value of relationships. Uh, for years of teaching, I really, I was just about teaching the content, you know, going into school in my classroom, teaching the lessons, giving the homework, doing all the things that I thought that I had to do, or that, you know, my experience uh, as a student had shown, you know, like that was necessary. Um, but from law school, I had some really great professors, one of which who became a mentor for me and totally changed my, my viewpoint of, of what it means to be a teacher beyond just teaching. And I, I don't think, I mean, looking back now, it's easy to say, like, if I, if, I'm, if I think back to then, I don't know that I would still be in teaching had it not been for my law school experience, um, the connections that I made, that growth personally and professionally. Uh, so that's definitely a huge part of it. Another part is it's kind of funny in the classroom sometimes, you know, you have students who will say, well, I didn't do it, or it wasn't me, or, you know, you, you, you develop these extra analytical skills, so you can kind of go through that, and uh, even just, you know, silly things, like I took a lot of coursework in, like, forensic sciences and criminal law, and so you could kind of tell when something falls versus something was thrown across the room, so I've had some funny stories over the years, but... Um, but I also think it's a good lesson to just for some students who think like, oh, well, you know, I could never do that because I'm not, I'm not good at this. Or, you know, I don't know the answer to this. I'm never going to be able to understand this concept. And being able to kind of think back to my own experience with that and share my experiences, which I share all the time. I think all of that just kind of came back into my mind after my law school experience where there were times I was uncomfortable and, um, just kind of gave me a refresher and gave me the, 
the motivation to just keep on learning and doing something differently that definitely is out of my comfort zone and trying to use that as a model in my classroom for my students too, as much as I can. That's pretty amazing. I, I love the idea that you can be a bit of a forensic scientist and <laughs> figure out who really did throw that pencil. Well, I, yeah, I had a, I have a really great story about that. That was, it was kind of funny. I mean, do you want me to tell you? Cause I could, I can make it really short. Sure. Sure. So, so we'll call it the red crayon incident and uh, our floors were replaced <laughs> with instead of carpet, it went to the linoleum floors. Right. So one day in class, I'm walking around the classroom and I see this, red crayon it's just smeared probably like i don't know a good six inch pretty thick line on the floor and i'm like oh my goodness how did this happen and so one student said oh yeah i dropped the crayon and i'm like i'm looking at it and i said nah, i don't i don't think and so i tried to wipe it up and i said here's what i think happened i said i just want you to affirm if i'm if i'm right or if i'm wrong and i said i think you probably did in fact drop it but it rolled and you just didn't feel like getting up to get it. So you put your foot on it and you started to drag it toward you. And as you did it with your heel pressing on it, it smeared further and further in. And you thought, I'm just going to keep going with this and see what happens. And I went, okay, just tell me, am I right or wrong? I got the affirmative nod that I was in fact right. <laughs> and, uh, and he just said, am I getting detention? Am I doing this? I said, well, no, like you're not supposed to just make a mess just because I said, we need to clean it up. We're not going to leave that for somebody else. But he said, how did you know? And I said, well, I had this like really interesting course in law school. And um, so it's things like that where you can kind of take a look at it. But that kind of experience too, it does help with those connections and those relationships uh, with students because, I mean, you're teaching a lesson, but at the same time, it's like, there's kind of like a, a a funny, I don't know, experience interaction between you that, you know, it's memorable. I mean, that's been two years ago now, and it's a story I've told quite often, but it's, it's just another lesson, just a way to teach a lesson to a kid. Like, don't just make a mess, but um, teachers kind of know, like, what you did, what you didn't do. So it definitely comes in handy for situations like that. Yeah. Well, definitely building the relationships, going back to your earlier comment and thinking about how you can diffuse what could have been potentially a situation where the student feels embarrassed and then gets angry and you're angry and upset and right. you're able to use those skills and your personality and the sense of humor and the relationship that you built with that student in a really strategic way, which I think mm -hmm. is definitely a lesson for us all. So yeah. that's amazing. And so you, you mentioned too, just this idea that before you went to school and before you got involved in the the master's degree work with educational technology you had not been quite as connected and now right. gauging by your participation in ISTE and many conferences that you present at and the awards that you've been given you're very connected so what was that like for you what what was the switch that flipped and how how did you suddenly become a connected educator yeah well it all started uh I mean, I never wanted Facebook. I never wanted Twitter, but I planned high school reunions and years ago, probably maybe 15 years ago or close to it now, somebody said, you need to get on Facebook because you're not going to find our classmates of which there were like 600 of us in a phone book. And so I, I took, took that as like, okay, I need to get on Facebook. And um, when I did that and just being able to reconnect with you know, friends and family in a way that was convenient and made you feel not like you've just been so you know, detached from one another for so long. 
I thought, okay, so this is totally not what I thought. Twitter, in 2014, in Pennsylvania, we have this program, and it's, um, it, you end up, you, you can be nominated by, one, by your principal to become like a Keystone Technology Innovator and go to this week-long conference uh, where, you know, it's all day long technology and connecting. And during that time in the summer of 2014, I did a session. It was kind of like Ed Camp style. And a woman in there sent out a tweet to what she thought was my account. Now, I had a Twitter account, but only because a friend had tweeted something and I had to create one to read it. Um, but anyway, it, that was the point where I thought, okay, I need to get on Twitter. Totally, again, didn't understand the potential of it. And over that time, just started to, I found a Twitter chat. Um, I had no idea. The first one, it was like people in Tennessee. I'm like, I didn't know I'm in Pennsylvania. But they were the first people I connected with on Twitter. And then actually the following summer in 2015, when ISTE was in Philadelphia, I got to meet them face to face. So we had built that relationship through social media in those chats over that period of time, which again is something that, you know, initially if you're not engaging on Twitter or something, you think like, oh, that's, not, that's kind of strange. Like, you know, like, do these people really exist? And then you meet them and, and it's like you've known them forever because you've built those connections. And uh, over, you know, and I also got involved in ISTE because that was a part of my master's program. We needed to join an organization. I did the research, I found ISTE and I joined um, ISTE. Also our Pennsylvania affiliate of ISTE is something that I joined and just started to you know, slowly get interacting or begin interacting, I should say, with a couple of the different networks, um, not necessarily like on the leadership team, but they had you know, members at large and just kind of supporting and just started to kind of continue to grow over the last couple of years with a few of those networks. And it's amazing, like from my first ISTE, which was at Philly, to this year, you know, I've been to all of them since then. The difference between when I first walked in there in 2015 to now, it's like you really, you start to walk and it's like you cannot walk like 10, 15 feet without knowing somebody or having somebody say, you know what, I think we follow each other on Twitter. I think we're in the same chat. And that's just such a unique and amazing experience. Um, but the potential for using social media just for learning. And if I think, if I take all of, all of that away that I've gained from being connected, I, I don't know that I would still be teaching at this point just because of all that it has brought to my life and my students' lives over the past couple of years. So, um, you know, and, it's, and they're not for everybody. And I think it's not that you need to be on Twitter. It's, it's just finding a point where you can connect with people at a time that meets your schedule. And mm -hmm. professional development 10 years ago compared to, you know, 20 years ago or longer, it's so different now. And even sitting down talking with you, I mean, quick 30 minute hangout conversation. We have technology we can do with people around the world. It's just about finding that one thing to start connecting and then just continuing to grow. Oh yeah. Well, actually you've raised two points there in the last moments that I'd really like to pick up on. One is this changing nature of professional development. That's probably the bigger question. The shorter question, at least I hope, is <laughs> as you think then about how you use social media, maybe on a daily slash weekly basis, like, mm -hmm. could you kind of give us just a snapshot, like on average, how many mm -hmm. Twitter chats do you participate in? How many just individual interactions might you have? How many posts might you put in the ISTE, you know, uh, communities? If you could sum it up, I'm, and I'm sure every week is a little bit different, but on an average week, how, how often are you dipping into those social connections? Uh, a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely a lot. There are, 
There are some that like, for example, on Monday nights, uh, I I'm the co-host for formative chat. So I always, I'm always in that chat on Mondays and my involvement in that is, you know, I'm getting the guest moderators and setting that up. And it's just, it's a great way to start the week. But Monday nights, usually for me, pretty heavy with a lot of, there, there's just so many great chats out there and it's finding, it can be overwhelming because if you think you have to do all of them, or if you start to get connected in some of them, like they're, they bring in so much value. So on Monday nights is when I get started with uh, a lot of involvement in Twitter and just in general, di different forms of social media. On Mondays, I have um, formative chat, which I'm the co-host and get, you know, different moderators to come in different topics for like 30 minutes. Also during the week, there's other chats. Every single night, there's a chat. It seems like every part of the day, there's chats. Mm -hmm. But that's the nice thing about it is being able to find one that meets your schedule. And I think I was talking a lot at school today because I feel like the voice, my students were really excited. And I'm like, why are you so excited today? I don't, I don't know what it was. But um, and actually, we were talking about social media today too because we were looking at Snapchat. Mm -hmm. And that's another medium you know, that I didn't always use. But some teachers are using that. Same with Instagram which I've gotten better about posting on Instagram, but every day I'm definitely pushing content out on Twitter multiple times, or I'll schedule some things just throughout the day. But I like to share interesting things that I'm reading on topics that are kind of trending or emerging, or that I know for me, they're areas I'm trying to learn about. Uh, in the ISTE communities, tons of the PLNs have so many great questions being shared, resources all of the time. So I do try to post uh, either a question or just read and get some ideas and share some of the things I'm doing in my own classroom. And then Voxer, for people that use Voxer, that's another great way to you know, share ideas where people will say, well, why don't you just pick up a phone? Conversations are nice. But the nice mm -hmm. thing about Voxer for people that don't use it, it's a walkie-talkie messaging app, is that you can just share your ideas, whether you just want to record things for yourself to kind of go back to, uh, I've done book studies with it, which it's nice to just hear other people's voices. So you feel connected because for me, a big problem for many of my years that I started teaching was teaching in isolation. And um, that was, I mean, that was my choice to knock out and connect, even though there were times that I was struggling with classroom management or uh, just any of the number of things. I mean, teaching can be an overwhelming profession at times. We have so many things to do and for me, I, I didn't feel comfortable reaching out to somebody because that would mean that I wasn't doing my job well or that you know, everybody would know I was struggling. But now having these connections and having that supportive network, even if it's just one person, or if you go on Twitter and you have a hashtag that you follow, asking questions for ideas. You know, For me, like two or three years ago now, student engagement, I totally had it all wrong. <laughs> I was like, I, I could not have been more wrong about what that looked like than I was. And at the end of the year, I was just struggling. The students weren't engaged and it was, it was tough. And granted, spring, you know, standardized testing, end of the year testing, that was part of it. But I was trying to do more. And I was so thankful at that point that I had these different ways that I could connect and ask questions that I felt comfortable doing that in. And uh, so regardless of if you decide a Facebook community, Twitter, ISTE, your Pennsylvania, or Pennsylvania, your Pennsylvania, my Pennsylvania affiliate of ISTE, P-A-E-C-T, you know, we have networks, just finding somebody to connect with. But every day I, I do push a lot of content out, even on LinkedIn. That's something else I've been using more because mm -hmm. I've seen an increase with educators, um, especially when looking at the future of work and learning, 
you know, innovation is a big topic. And there are a lot of educators that are having their students even share content on LinkedIn. And I think just finding part of your day to have a routine where you can check in to give some balance that you feel like you're still learning and growing uh, is really important. Mm. Yeah, certainly that notion that you can give, but also just get a little bit. And usually you end up giving and getting in, in reciprocity works out in the ways that it, it always does, especially when you're with like-minded educators. Right. Yeah, you had mentioned this idea too, that PD is changing and, and that could probably be a whole other podcast episode. So I guess <laughs> what I would just say quickly is that you're describing the ways that I know I too, as a teacher educator, I'm trying to work with my pre-service teachers and even some of our master's degree candidates to try to help them build those habits of mind and those dispositions. Um, you said something at the end though, that I think is important and probably connects to some of the writing that you do, uh, moving more towards work skills and making these connections on LinkedIn. And I know that you've been working, um, you have a recent book, that's come out, uh, the future is now, looking back to move ahead. Um, is that related to this idea too of work skills and 21st century literacies? Or tell us a little bit about the book and, and how that all fits in. Yeah, um, part of it, I mean, it's me just telling the story of looking back to my own experience as a student, um, my growth as, as an educator, and also looking ahead to what do our students need and the types of experiences we need to provide for them. So in part of the book, it's kind of like, this is how we build ourselves as an educator. You know, we, we learn what our strengths, what our weaknesses are. We build our skills, we build our connections. And then once we do that, you know, what can we do together? How do we learn? How do we share our ideas? And then helping others to find their own opportunities and kind of moving them forward. And so I do have some educators that shared stories in here. Um, a lot of it has quotes tied into it. Like my first book was all about quotes and uh, how they make us rethink, not even just education, but life in general. But in this book, I do have stories shared. And the, one of the things I love most about this book than the other is that there are other stories from educators and even students. And for me, had you told me, well, actually about... A while ago, I did think about writing books many years ago, but they were more along the lines of the books I was reading. And being able to sit down and to write and to share you know, what you are doing in your classroom, and not just me, but anybody, you might just reach that one person who is struggling with something or who thinks teaching isn't for them. And I've had a lot of conversations over the past year where people have said like, you know what, teaching isn't for me. You know, I'm different. I, I'm not, I don't fit in. Or... Um, you know, I feel like I'm just by myself and there's all of these things that I think we all feel at some point and it's just knowing what to do with that. And so tied into this book, you know, moving forward, like as a foreign language teacher, many times when I presented at conferences, whether they're for world languages or for just ed tech conferences, I will ask, you know, how many of you studied French or Spanish or another language and how many of you still use that? And there are not that many hands in the room. So my thinking as a teacher of Spanish has been, what else can I do for my students that's going to prepare them for the future? And being able to do things like when I first started blogging with them in my classroom, a lot of them were not big fans of having to blog. And it was literally like eight or 10 sentences. And the reason I did that was because it's easy to give them a worksheet to translate sentences. 
but the likelihood that they're going to go somewhere and, and have to like say that exact same sentence to somebody, not very high. And so I wanted a better way to one, give them a more authentic way that they could create something. And two, to open it up to you know, different op options for writing, not just about the content that we were learning. And three, to also learn about them in the process. But it was kind of funny the first few times because I said, you're really not doing anything different than writing on paper in a worksheet. It's just, you can actually do this on your phone wherever you are and you keep track of it. It ends up becoming like a digital portfolio and you can see your growth. And so it took a little while, but a lot of them did like the ability to choose from a variety. I think I had like 30 possible, yeah, 30 possible, 30 possible topics, I think, and themes or something. And sometimes I would give them a specific theme or verbs or something to use, but I wanted them to feel like they could write and not worry about the mistakes, but just worry about expressing themselves because that's really important, like the communication. And so tidying mm -hmm. with part of the book is looking to the future. You know, students definitely need communication skills. They need collaboration. They have to become adaptable because we don't know what the world of work or school for that matter is going to look like. I want to even say five years at this point because things change so rapidly, but what can we do in our classrooms that will help our students to be adaptable to whatever the future is going to look like wherever they decide to go after they leave our classroom, our school. And um, so there is some talk in the book about, you know, what can we do with our students, in our classrooms today that will benefit them today because you know we talk about social emotional learning so giving them chances to work with their peers and um, just to engage in that social learning as well will also prepare them for the future so i try to kind of weave kind of a story about like you know maybe you are feeling this way too where you are isolated like this is what you can do like actionable steps but not just from my point of view but from other teachers point of view as well mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you think about that, and I mean, sometimes we hear that called the 21st century literacies or the four C's, creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, one, and one that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But as you, as you, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> How apropos. So as you, as you think about those and you think about talking with other teachers about those, and we, we have to teach these 21st century literacies. We have to teach the four C's. We have to teach... Da, 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 da. What does that then look like in a very concrete, practical way? Like as you're leading a workshop session or as you are leading a webinar or as you're having a hallway conversation or as you're communicating with someone on Boxer, are there ways that you talk with other educators about those? Because sometimes they can see, seem so vague and so, you know, it's just so big. Like, how right. do we actually put that into practice? And how do we help other educators see ways to put that into their own practice? Yeah. And what's funny, too, is that I didn't probably in the last six or so months, and you may have heard this, too, is people are saying, why are we still talking about 21st century skills? Like, we're well into the 21st century. And uh, like, yes. And I've also even heard like four C's, five C's, seven C's, and just you keep adding on. But in conversations, it has been about, at least for me, you know, when I write, if I write a blog or just at conferences, trying to figure out, you know, what is something that we can do or, or a practice that we can use or even, it doesn't have to be technology. It's not always about the technology, but sometimes that is like the one thing that can act as a catalyst to like help a student to start to write or share their ideas or to feel comfortable. And so a lot of times it focuses on not like, 
oh, we have to do all of these things on top of the curriculum. It's how can we embed that and weave that within what we're already doing? And in some cases, it comes down to like one strategy or one digital tool that enables you to kind of hit all of those. And, um, you know, I could name, there's tons of great tools out there. It just depends on what you want to do. But like, even for example, with, you know, talking about like doing podcasts, you know, if students were going to write out the podcast or they were going to have a peer and they were going to interview one another. I mean, you keep going creativity, like, I don't know, some interesting topic, um, problem solving, you know, project-based learning has been tied into this with my students as well, but it's just finding either different opportunities for learning, which PBL could be one or a different strategy to use in the classroom. Um, Station rotations is, has even been great in my classroom for this, where students have opportunities to do kind of all of those things in different formats. But it's nice to get ideas from other teachers, even in, in quick conversations or even on Voxer and say like, look, like I really want my students to work on collaboration. Like what is something that I can do? And it's nice when, you know, I don't teach elementary, but I love learning about ideas that are being used in elementary school because most of the time, you know, our creativity kicks in and we just think, oh, I can just change this one thing and try that. And if it doesn't work, that's okay because now we're problem solving or we're asking students for help and we're collaborating on some idea. Um, it's, it's interesting how, I don't know, there are so many ideas out there and it's like, it's good that there is. And sometimes it's like, oh, where do I start? Doesn't matter. You just got to pick one. Mm-hmm. Well, to hear you say from a moment ago, this idea that we're not trying to do everything. We don't need to try to learn every tool. Let's think about the strategic use of a particular tool in this context to help kids, or or at least a a small menu of tools from which they can choose while still helping them remain somewhat focused on learning goals. So yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, And as you said, sometimes you just have those moments of an epiphany where yes, you had that tweet that someone shared that perfect link to that blog post you needed at that moment, yes. or that you know you you suddenly hop in the car and this podcast starts playing that has this great idea too, and those are always you know just wonderful little moments and and I think speaks to your open mindedness and your willingness just to be in the moment and mm-hmm. say what I did yesterday is not going to look exactly like what I'm going to do today, and it's not going to look the same tomorrow, and I'm flexible and that brings a little novelty for students too, I would have to imagine, which helps in building those relationships. Yeah, it definitely does. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's great. And so, you know, as we come to the end of our conversation here, knowing that you are writing blog posts, <laughs> conference proposals, books, book chapters, newsletters, updates, discussion forums, you are writing in many different ways across your day. How do you see yourself as a teacher writer? What, what would you say the impact of writing is upon your life? Uh, huge <laughs> in, in many ways, but I know that a big part of it is in reflecting and, and not just on like what I did today or yesterday or last week, but in writing the books and thinking back to my own experience as a student, thinking about the first number of years that I was teaching and realizing, and I've said this a lot, I'm like, I really wasn't a very good teacher. I mean, I, I was doing my job, I was teaching the content, but I wasn't going above and beyond and trying to do interesting things or taking a lot of risks. And I mean, that's on me to do that. And so writing and also hearing, hearing the stories of other educators uh, has helped me to really, one, give myself a little bit of grace and realize I'm not alone, that I, you know, there are teachers who 
you know, were teaching the way they had been taught for a long time. But doing the writing also pushes me as a teacher because obviously we need to keep on learning and pushing ourselves. And so it's comfortable for me to write blogs about things I'm doing in my classroom, which is what I've done for years. But to write a book and bring other stories in, totally something different. And then to write blogs like for Getting Smart, they have themes every single month. And, and I was choosing themes based on what I did in class. So virtual reality, okay, I can do that. Um, global collaboration, I can do that. But then when it came to topics like artificial intelligence and metacognition and social emotional learning, those are areas that I don't know enough about, or I should say I didn't know enough about. I still have a lot to learn, but that pushes me to keep learning um, and it helps me to better understand my students and their needs and, and just gives me a different perspective to compare to what I had prior to writing that and doing the research and seeing what's out there. So it definitely keeps me actively learning. Um, it doesn't it doesn't keep me, you know, comfortable in the sense that like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing the same activities in my classroom. Like now with this artificial intelligence, for example, because I've written about it and I've researched it, I want to teach the students because I want to see like, how do they respond to that? And then I want to use it in other ways. Um, so it's, it's just kind of all weaves together somehow the different formats. But I think the biggest piece is just that it's allowed me to reflect and to just keep pushing myself to, you know, find different ways to share what I'm doing, but also to find other people to share what they are doing as well. well. I can certainly appreciate that. This idea that the writing leads you to the next idea with teaching, leads you to a new connection, helps you reflect back on something you did, puts you in touch with someone new. I, I, I can certainly understand what you're saying as a writer and thinking about you know the ways that it helps me too. It helps me process, it helps me debrief and analyze and plan and in the planning of things that's um that's always helpful so yeah that just that notion that on the one hand you're reflecting on the other hand you're pushing forward it's kind of that ebb and flow and the yin and yang and i, I can right. certainly understand that feeling that's great yeah. oh well again rochelle thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us thank you for all that you do with and for your students and with and for other educators through ISTE and all your other connections. And uh, I wish you all the best as you get done with those three, did you say, more book projects that are waiting on your plate? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think like that, but um, two of them yeah. are just me. And then I have two others that I'm working on with, and I'm getting other stories in from other educators. So I'll still be writing in those, but the, the stories will be similar to my first book had more stories than my second book, but yeah, I'm just excited because I've been getting some of those submissions in and reading those stories and just, you know, telling people like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like I cannot wait to share the story with other people. So it's fun. I like it. I like sharing that. I should, I should say, I like sharing the work of other people more than my own, but um, yeah, I'm excited. So thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you and I appreciate the time. Absolutely. And thank you for elevating the voices of other educators. We appreciate it. Thanks. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com.